All right, we'll call this meeting of the Law and Legislation Committee to order. Welcome everybody. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Councilmember Kaplan? Here. Councilmember Jennings? Here. Councilmember uh, Guerra? Here. And Chair Valenzuela? I am here. Uh, Vice Mayor Guerra, would you be willing to do the land acknowledgement and pledge of allegiance for us today? Please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisanan people, the Southern Maidu and Valley and Plains Miwok, the Putwin and Winton people, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, that we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the native active in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation of Sacramento's indigenous people's history contributions and lives. Please stay standing. Join me in the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Salute. Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Awesome, thank you, Vice Mayor. So thank you all for joining us here today. As a friendly reminder, if you're here to make comment on any item today, there are comment sheets in the back of the room. Please bring them up here to the clerk's office um, before we start public comment. After the first commenter, we will close public comment. And for folks on Zoom, there is a raise hand feature that you can select um, when your item begins. And we will call on you after we call on folks in the room. Now we will go to our consent calendar, items one through three. Do I have any committee members who have any questions or comments on consent today? Thank you. All right, moved and seconded. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. aye. Any opposed abstentions? That passes unanimously. All right, item four was placed on the agenda um, inadvertently, so we will not be hearing um, anything on surplus lands today. Madam Clerk, do we need to vote on that or is that? We do not. It's a receive and file. If we can just remove it from the agenda. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Um, if folks want to talk about surplus lands, they can definitely reach back out. But today, the big item on the agenda is the ordinance related to community benefits agreement. So with that, I'd love to invite the city staff up to begin our presentation. Welcome, Mr. Jasso. Thank you. Good morning, Madam Chair and members of the committee. Happy birthday, uh, uh, Councilmember Jennings. So... <laughs> Before you this afternoon for your review, input, dire uh, direction, and ultimate consideration before the entire council is a draft ordinance requiring the city to engage in a defined community benefit process and ultimate community benefits agreement for projects that meet certain parameters based on direct city assistance. I'm joined by staff from the Office of Innovation and Economic Development, Leslie Fritchie and Ellen Sullivan, and Michael Sparks from the city attorney's office, all three of whom were instrumental in the drafting of this ordinance. Kind of, um, we applaud the intent of this ordinance and have worked diligently with care holders to craft an ordinance that takes into account the following. Our legal requirements under the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement, the spirit of the agreement to create a transparent process for establishing community benefits for significant projects that have impacts beyond their footprints, Balancing the objective of achieving meaningful and tangible community benefits while also recognizing the very real challenges of supporting projects to fruition, such as predictability, challenging financing, and being as expeditious as possible to deliver such projects. 
and respecting the role of the city council as the duly elected representatives from our communities and the ultimate approver of most projects, the vast majority, that might be supported within the context of this community benefits ordinances, as well as outside of that context. So with that having been said, staff will go through the ordinance in greater detail, and I turn it over to Leslie Fritchie at this time. Thank you. Good afternoon, sorry, I always have to make this adjustment. Good afternoon, Chair, members of the Law and Ledge community. I'm uh, Leslie Fritchie of the Office of Innovation Economic Development. Today, as Michael indicated, Ellen Sullivan of OIED and I are here to seek your input and direction on a proposed community benefits agreement ordinance. The ordinance is being brought forward as a requirement under the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement with Sacramento Investment Without Displacement. Putting this draft ordinance together was not an easy task, for we tried to strike a balance between input that we've received uh, with SIWD and community stakeholders and the business community, creating a defined CBA requirement while not negatively impacting development activity in our city. We've been meeting almost weekly with SIWD members, and I thank them very much for their continued participation and acknowledge that there are differences in approach. We're sensitive to those differences and thus wanted to make sure we had a transparent process where all views could be heard by the committee. Therefore, the format for today is staff will give a short presentation outlining the background and components of the draft ordinance, followed by a presentation by SIWD. Following that, we're open to your questions, input, and direction. We also want to highlight other stakeholder views, such as the Downtown Sacramento Partnership, the North State BIA, and Greater Sacramento Economic Council. Their comment letters are included in the agenda packet we have forwarded. With that, as a brief introduction, I'd like to introduce it to my colleague, uh, Ellen Sullivan. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Ellen Sullivan, project manager with the city manager's Office of Innovation and Economic Development. In 2018, the city embarked on its Inclusive Economic Development Initiative. As part of the initiative, the city adopted the citywide Inclusive Economic Development Guidelines. The guidelines provide a framework to ensure that the city's investments foster economic and community development and job growth within the city of Sacramento and create opportunities for all of Sacramento's residents. And projects requesting economic subsidies from the city are evaluated using the guidelines. The Aggie Square project will receive economic subsidies from the city via an enhanced infrastructure finance district. The city evaluated the potential investment and determined the project was consistent with the inclusive economic development guidelines because it included commitments for community benefits such as project employment, workforce training, housing, youth engagement, and community access to resources, including establishment of an Aggie Square community fund. As part of the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement, the city committed to bringing a community benefits ordinance to council for consideration. The city started this process by developing a CBO framework with input from the Law and Legislation Committee, the Investment Committee, and our outside partners, like Sacramento Investment Without Displacement, the Downtown Sacramento Partnership, and the North State Building Industry Association Infill Council. The framework led us to two documents, 
the policy level document, which is the Community Benefits Agreement Ordinance. It was drafted to be streamlined and flexible based on the direction we received. The implementation level document is the Community Benefits Agreement Implementation Guidelines. This is the detailed document that will guide the city, developer, and the community on how the CBA will be crafted, a CBA will be crafted. This document will also include the specifics on the community outreach and engagement process. We wanted to go over some of the key points of the draft ordinance. $10 million of city investment or subsidy for significant development projects would require a CBA. And the ordinance defines subsidy consistent with government code 53083 as referenced in the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement as an expenditure of public funds or loss of revenue to the city, such as grants, loans, or fee waivers. All CBAs would require compliance with prevailing wage laws, local hire provisions, and have designated third-party beneficiaries. And these are requirements that cannot be waived. The benefits that are required in the ordinance are from the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement. We also added transportation as an added benefit. And the ordinance also allows council to add project-specific benefits. The ordinance also includes language to allow council to approve a CBA with some, none, or all of the benefits listed, plus any additional benefits. This allows council to tailor benefits that are most beneficial to the community while balancing the realities of delivering a project. The ordinance requires the city manager to engage the community at two key points, when developing the terms of the CBA and when evaluating evaluating the performance of the CBA. And it also includes a provision to allow the city manager to adopt policies and procedures to implement and enforce the ordinance. We plan to continue working with our partners to further develop the guidelines with an emphasis on community engagement and outreach, including providing specificity on the number of meetings and the input process, more detail and guidance on the benefits, and the metrics and reporting procedures. If the committee forwards the community benefits ordinance to council for consideration today, the ordinance would be on track to go to council for pass for publication on May 9th and a hearing on May 16th. And our next step after that would be to continue working with our partners on the CBA implementation guidelines. And this concludes staff's presentation and now I'd like to turn it over to SIWD for their presentation. Good afternoon, Madam Chair. Um, thank you to the Lawn Ledge Committee for including Sacramento Investment Without Displacement in today's presentation. Um, I want to introduce myself. I'm Gabi Trejo. I'm the Executive Director for Sacramento Act, as well as the President for SIWD. And my colleague, Kim Williams, from Hub Director for the Sacramento BHC Building Healthy Communities, and Ms. Kiara Reed, Executive Director for Civic Thread, will be joining me in today's presentation. Um, our PowerPoint. Do you all have our PowerPoint? Can we change the slide? Are you having okay? Oh, is this? Oh, I went too far. 
No problem. Staff, will you put the PowerPoint back up, please? That I have the old school. We can go old school with the Perfect, let's do that. <laughs> As a back, back, up, back on. Perfect. There you go. Okay. <laughs> While you guys do it, it's okay. I... Um, so we also want to, um, I want to recognize some of our colleagues from the Sacramento Investment Without Displacement who are here in the room and some folks that are joining us online. Um, like uh, I want to list some of them and apologies if I forget any of them, but Organize SAC, um, Sacramento BHC, United Latinos, Civic Thread, ECOS, Sacramento Act, um, Sacramento Housing Alliance, ACE, and of course, um, at the very beginning of SIWD, it was the neighborhood associations that really were instrumental in getting us um, to become a coalition, and so um, just wanted to recognize them. Um, I also wanted to just uh, show my appreciation to Leslie and her team for taking so much time and meeting with us weekly to try to come to this point, and so I just want to really um, show gratitude for their time and for their commitments to continue to work with us because today we really see it as a milestone um, that we have reached today. And so um, one of the things that when SIWD, um, Sacramento Investment Without Displacement, came about over four years ago, it was really with the intention of wanting to see more development in our communities that was really allowing for our communities to thrive. And, um, and that's how we committed to working together and being one, and that's what brings us here four years later. Um, we recognize that while development is necessary, we have also witnessed and seen that large developments have plagued low-income communities of color with inequities that have negatively impact our residents' ability to just meet basic needs, including safe and affordable housing, having a living wage, equitable transportation access, and so much more. And so we believe that we need to have a very bold anti-displacement measures, um, that we need to ensure that these measures um, are put into place in order for us to really truly dismantle the systemic racism that continues to build and design our communities and disproportionately impact the communities that we serve, um, the most marginalized in Sacramento. And we wanna see investment in our community um, and, for that pe and for the people in the communities to really benefit from these investments. Um, and we wanna make sure that they're not displaced in the process. Our goal is to ensure that the investments contribute to and will be do so in a format that ensures that community benefits doesn't for, you know, further harm. Um, it is important to note that the CBA ordinance uh, or the CBA version that we provided is really based an actual research conducted by a professional researcher who took the time to compare and contrast best practices on CBAs from across the country. Um, in addition, it was vetted by community members. 
And so today, I know that we're not gonna be getting into the weeds of, of many questions, but we have two main asks of you all. One is um, just to ask you to take the time to really review the SIWD's um, documents that we have sent with the staff, um, to take the time to look at it because I know it's a lot and we don't expect you all to have it memorized. Um, and two, that on the line, okay, perfect. Um, that in the next Lion Ledge committee hearing on May 2nd, um, we urge you to move SIWD's amendments to move forward to the council. Um, and now I'll hand it over to my colleague, Kim, who will walk us through a little more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for finding our slide, too. <laughs> so um, as Leslie mentioned, um, this has been a long, a long process, and um, we, are, we are finally at this stage. And as she also mentioned, that there are some very key differences among where we sit as SIWD and where the city sits as uh, what is actually in the ordinance at this point. And around, uh, our biggest issues are around, our differences are around the public investment pieces. Um, Sacramento Investment Without Displacement, we, you know, we identify um, the investments that include land, property, money, zoning changes that provide it to a developer for a project. So when we talk about those numbers of what that Kickstarter is, those are the things that all are included in that. Uh, SAC Investment, we want projects um, receiving, the, we want projects that are receiving public benefits um, with a combined total of $3 million to initiate the CBA process versus the $10 million um, that um, is, is in the process now or in the CBA now. Uh, we want to ensure that any major development over 200,000 net square feet in size, even with a lower public subsidy, will initiate a CBA. So there's also, there's the dollar amount, but there's also the size and what that, and those impacts, the size of those projects will have in communities. Um, city staff doesn't recognize that these as all investments and they're proposing a minimum of 10 million to trigger that CBA process and that's where we are different. When we came into this process, um, you know, we've been negotiating back and forth and the 10 million has never changed even though we've changed where we've started from, it hasn't changed on that end and so we really want um, this body to really take a look at that and, and really amend that number so that we can, it's equitable for our city. Um, city staff also proposed for a higher threshold, which would prevent the CBA from being initiated in most cases, resulting in really no actual benefits to the community. When you look about the number of projects the city has invested that, that type of money in, those aren't large, you know. We've got the arena, but how many arenas and stadiums are we gonna build in Sacramento? So we really wanna keep those things um, in mind as well. Next, okay. Then um, the minimum benefits to the community. Uh, we want to see uh, critical areas of anti-displacement, including housing, transportation, workforce development, and small and local business protections that are identified in the CBA. That's another area where we've, we've differed and we want to make sure that those things are put in place. Um, the city avoids identifying specific benefits to communities impacted by large development, giving developers maximum flexibility and little accountability, which really does hurt our communities that are being already being mar marginalized and under-resourced, and this is an opportunity for us to correct a lot of the harms that have happened in our community over the years, and so we really want to have more discussion and have more um, opportunity to, again, amend those issues so that we can come up with the ordinance that really does benefit um, all of Sacramento, not just one portion. And I'm going to turn it over to Kira. Thank you, Kim. Thank you guys. Um, the next piece that we have a bit of difference is on the community voice and negotiation and empowerment. And at the end of the day, this is really about equitable access to the decision-making process and the decision-making table. 
and we know that community members are the experts in their own lived experiences and in their communities, and they need to have a direct role at the negotiation process along with the city and the project sponsor. I'd like to reiterate that this is a community benefits agreement ordinance, and the city's current proposal lacks the participation of the local community at the negotiating table. Siloing engagement and limiting community participation in decision-making pro processes is part of the reason why we are at this table in the first place, to talk about benefits to the local community. Residents represent the most threatened, uh, the people that will be most threatened by these large developments and the impacts of those developments. They deserve equitable access to the decision-making process. And I'll just share that as a nonprofit planning and advocacy organization, I've had opportunities, countless opportunities, to engage with communities across the Sacramento region. And every single one of them has said that they do not want to be planned for. They want to be included and, and, and included and participants, active participants in decision-making processes. And so I would encourage this body to consider that as well and also to also consider the city departments that are operationalizing equity um, and making sure that that is consistent across all city departments. And again, I just like to highlight what our asks for the day are. Um, we would like the, this body to take the time over the next two weeks to review both um, SIWD and the city, uh, the city staff's version of the CBA ordinance language and, and our amendments. Um, we want to be we want to make sure that we are getting responses back to you. We understand that this is a lot of information. We've been at this for two years, um, and so it's a lot for y'all to try and absorb in a very limited amount of time, and so we acknowledge that, and we want you to take your time with these materials. We are also committing um, to have responses back to you uh, in a timely manner so that you guys can make your decision um, at the next uh, legislative committee before before moving, hopefully, Sacramento Investment Without Displacements amendments, amendments forward to the City Council. And with that, uh, we do have some letters that we would like to leave with Council with over 100 signatures from across the City of Sacramento that show support for Sacramento Investment Without Displacements suggested amendments to the C, uh, CBA ordinance. And that concludes our presentation. Thank you so much. All right, thank you to everybody for that very thorough presentation. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have public comments on this item? So I have five speakers in chambers, um, Annie Keys, Rachel Brown, Barry Broom, Annie, Hi, good afternoon, Chair Valenzuela, members of the committee and city staff. Uh, this is Annie Keyes speaking on behalf of Downtown Sacramento Partnership and the community we represent within the heart of our city. First, we would like to thank our city staff and in particular Leslie and Ellen for their level of engagement and communication throughout the formation of this ordinance. Recognizing the importance of intentional and inclusive economic development in downtown and the Sacramento region, we urge a balanced approach to local legislation that does not constrain future developments and opportunities for growth and prosperity. We would like to recommend ordinance amendments related to the funding threshold and the definition of development subsidies to better position Sacramento as a city of choice for economic development. Our detailed recommendations can be found both in the staff report and the recent position letter we have shared with this committee. 
When we collectively think about the future of the rail yards and the potential opportunities both there and throughout the rest of our city, it is vital that the Community Benefits Agreement Ordinance does not evolve in silo, but rather as a part of the city's holistic plan to nurture Sacramento as a destination of choice for local and out-of-market capital investment. We've appreciated the engagement from city staff to address concerns with this ordinance and always stand ready to work in concert with the city as a continued partner. Thank you very much for your time and considerations today. Thank you for your comments. Rachel Brown, then Barry Broom. Good afternoon, uh, Chair Valenzuela, Vice Mayor, and members of the Law and Legislation Committee. My name is Rachel Brown. I'm the Executive Director for the Power and Alliance. I am here today to support our partners at the Downtown Sacramento Partnership on today's item regarding the Community Benefits Agreement Ordinance. I share the same concerns that they have outlined in their letter to the committee, and I believe we signed on to that letter as well. I would like to recommend amendments to this ordinance prior to this item going to the City Council for approval. Um, I'll echo what Downtown Sacramento Partnership said. As I said, we joined together on our letter. Um, I support the concept of intentional and inclusive economic development to create a thriving downtown and greater Sacramento region, but want to ensure that a balanced approach is used and does not restrict future growth opportunities. I appreciate your consideration and thank you for the time. Next speaker is Barry Broom, then Michelle Willard. We have a minute. Well, this will be hard to do, too. Okay, thank you, Madam Chair. Yeah, so um, I've spoke a little bit here. I gave my card to these, uh, you know, outstanding community activists here. I mean, you know, we're not interested in any economic impacts that don't have equity associated with it. And we saw Aggie Square, and we can articulate why Aggie Square was a huge opportunity to generate equity. I think there's a lot of frustration and a lot of distrust in the community and a lot of acting out. But if you look at the CBA in Oakland, you can see how absolutely dangerous it can be when it's put into play. Um, we're very concerned about a doctrine. We're very concerned about unintended consequences. You know, the first $1,000 that every Sacramento pays in rent is to offset the cost of Sequon residential development. You know, people are frustrated. They want rent control. And then we see the data out of the Bay Area that rent control is not a solution. So I think we need to sit down and figure out how to have a better conversation among ourselves on how to solve problems. Because we're frustrated because we spent a million dollars on passing Measure U to put $50 million a year into our neighborhoods, our organization did, not so that you know, people could buy tanks for the police department or offset costs. I mean, we're very upset over Measure U. Every single day, we're upset over Measure U. So now we see more interference on things we're trying to do to create economic well-being in our community and then we're frustrated because, you know, we went out and spent, we paid for the campaign and the design to pass a $50 million a year neighborhood economic development program for 15 years. And a few bucks were tossed to the usual insiders and the rest has gone on to the balance sheet for uh, public safety. It's super frustrating when we do those things and see those outcomes. So I'm completely in align with equity and inclusion. It's the guiding principles of our work but the potential unintended consequences of this are severe. We've lost 73% of our downtown. We got 400 people dying a year, 10,000 homeless people. We're not that interesting, and we need to really pay attention to that. So I look forward to further conversations. Thank you for your comments. You. Next speaker is Michelle Willard, then Jack Blattner. 
Thank you to the Law and Legislation Committee for having me today. My name is Michelle Willard, and I'm the Chief Public Affairs Officer for the Greater Sacramento Economic Council. As you know, we are the leading economic development organization, and we're focusing on growth, prosperity, equity, and inclusion as it relates to economic development throughout the six-county region. We do not support the draft community benefits agreement that is currently being proposed. A CBA places the urban core at a disadvantage to surrounding suburbs in attracting new businesses. Downtown, as you know, is already suffering from an exodus of employees, businesses, and new investments. Now would be the wrong time to add further disincentives to investing in Sacramento. When we prevent development and reduce investment in the community, it ultimately hurts job creation for low-income and underserved communities. We need a vibrant downtown, additional inclusive housing, and this policy will make it uneconomical to do that. There is already a significant lack of developers who are even willing to develop in our community. The urban core is in the decline as more people have moved away to the suburbs from COVID-19. We should amend the CBA in our urban core, specifically the rail yards and riverfront development. We are a community already heavily reliant on government jobs. I don't think that's very inclusive. Greater Sacramento is 79% more dependent on government jobs than its peers and has more government jobs than Washington, D.C. This does not provide an inclusive economy for our community, especially for our underserved communities who probably need a bachelor's degree and master's degree to even get a government job. We are asking the Law and Legislation Committee, Legislative, excuse me, Committee to amend the agreement. And thank you for your time and consideration. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your comments. Jack Blattner, then Peter Cohn. Good afternoon, committee members. Jack Blattner with the Sacramento Metro Chamber, representing over 600 member businesses in the six-county region. Uh, we are also signatories to the DSP statement and would like to echo what they said. And while we recognize that many of the CBAO's provisions are praiseworthy, we are also concerned that, as it's currently written, this ordinance would cause a chilling effect on development in Sacramento. Specifically, there are two elements of the CBAO as written that we are concerned with particularly. First, we're concerned with how city funds are counted. Uh, we would hope to preclude the use of fee credits, CFD bonds, or other aggregating incentives when calculating the qualifying city fund threshold. And sec second, we're concerned with that qualifying city funding threshold itself. A uh, flat $10 million is just too inflexible. It will affect different kind of projects in different ways and we would prefer that the ordinance's threshold be based on the percentage of the entire project's funding that comes from the city. Uh, but in short, you know, what our city is suffering from is not um, too much development and redevelopment, but not enough. And we're already losing out to other cities in the region. It's not hypothetical. All you have to do is look across the street. So hopefully, however this ordinance comes through and comes out, uh, we can avoid that type of chilling effect on development and redevelopment that would cause our community harm. So thank you for your consideration. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Peter Cohn, then Devin Stricker. Good afternoon, council members. Peter Cohen, Sacramento Housing Alliance and Policy Director. Um, you heard from uh, some of our SIWD leadership um, with a, a really thoughtful presentation. And you have in front of you a, um, a very thorough set of amendments to the uh, proposed CBA ordinance from your city staff. 
This comes from a lot of hard work. Uh, I'm relatively new to the region, and I am incredibly impressed about how professional and thorough the thinking is. And as the ask was, is to really take time to look at those and digest them and, and think about how they contrast with the proposal that was brought to you. Um, there's just earnest differences between what the staff brought and what the community brings. And we look to you as policymakers to, to use your judgment of what you think is the best. Um, I think in looking at this, really it's about certainty of wider benefits from private investment in Sacramento. Who wins? Who gains? How do we distribute the benefits of those investments? Uh, we're housing folks. Uh, that's not the only piece of the puzzle. But certainly when it comes to housing, we want to make sure that there are housing benefits for workers. Big project investments create workforce. They create employment. Folks have to live somewhere. So part of this is certainty of housing but also certainty that there's stability for existing residents. We don't want to have private investment or even new housing gentrify and displace existing communities. So there's, there's asking here for certainty both on housing provision and uh, uh, re resident um, stabilization. I look at Sacramento compared to other cities in the state and you're really in an opportunity to do something bold and novel. Um, Sacramento is doing some really great things. And when it comes to housing and community development, this is a great opportunity to show leadership. And we really encourage you to take our amendments. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Um, I have two more speakers. And next is Devin Strecker, then James Allison. Hi, this is Devin Strecker with the River District. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, letting us speak today. And I, I want to thank everybody for the input and information they provided. Uh, we have not actually had time to really review this, so we have not taken a position yet. So we would appreciate a little more time to look into it because we are concerned about the impact that this could have on development, especially within the River District. We're undergoing a, a, a huge transformation, changing to a mixed-use residential environment, and we would really like to have input into this process. So thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is James Allison. Good afternoon. This is James Allison with the Midtown Association. Thank you for allowing me the time to speak on this today. Midtown Association is a property business improvement district that represents over 1,200 properties in the central city. Our mission is to make Midtown the center for culture, creativity, and vibrancy in Sacramento's urban core. I'm calling in this afternoon to express initial concerns with the proposed community benefits ordinance. Most notably, without firm details as a whole, we are concerned that CBO would cause unintended harm by increasing barriers to the production of housing projects. The number of subsidy types included in the ordinance are incredibly broad and overly inclusive. Many residential projects utilize some sort of fee credit or bond financing. With, a, with the current subsidies listed, projects not intended for inclusion under this ordinance could quickly reach the threshold amount. Further, the current threshold of $10 million implies a standardization that upon triggering would apply to myriad developments that do not constitute a large transformational project, including vital residential units. The city should clearly outline the scope of projects covered under this ordinance, designated them separately from those that may simply provide capital improvements such as infrastructure or street lighting upgrades. Without specification, developers may choose to create limitations on or downsize projects simply to avoid triggering that threshold amount. As the needs of the central city change to reflect the new downtown landscape, new innovative projects must be encouraged if the city hopes to meet its ambitious housing goals. 
Placing further burdens on construction will hinder this innovative investment within our community. Midtown Association urges the committee to direct staff to return with a revised ordinance which provides greater specificity for uh, applicable projects, limits the type of subsidies contributing to the threshold amount, and reevaluates the $10 million level for the threshold. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speakers. All righty. Um, thank you, everybody, for your comments. I'd love to turn it to the committee for discussion, starting with the vice mayor, but just really quickly to begin. I mean, there's a few key issues here, and I think I'm hearing pretty clearly from folks that they'd like a little bit more time um, to dig into this a little bit. I mean, for me, when I look at this draft ordinance, minimum benefits, community engagement, enforcement, those are some big questions that I think are the big differences as SIWD presented as well as the threshold amount. I will just say briefly that I've had the, the pleasure slash stress of engaging in a couple of these negotiations about public benefits on private projects since I've been in office, all of which would have been under the $10 million threshold. And I feel the process is incredibly ad hoc right now. Um, so on the one hand, I, I understand why people are worried about minimum requirements. On the other hand, I think predictability and consistency would probably be best. And so it's really about how do we draw those lines and what, and what the expectations are for projects as they move forward in our city. It has felt very much making it up as we go when we're doing these agreements right now. And I think it would be great if we had some consistency and so people knew what to expect. But that's my two cents to start us off here. Vice Mayor, you wanna you were deeply involved in the Aggie Square agreement that has led to this ordinance coming to us. So why don't you get us started here? Yes, thank you. First first I just I wanna thank um I wanna take an optimistic mood. I know a lot of folks came in here with saying they were unhappy, you know. And uh, but I wanna I wanna start this in an optimistic mood because the fact that we're here together discussing the, the, this means we all want a better Sacramento, okay? And um, every day, I um, every day, including on the weekends, I drive by um, Stockton and Broadway, and and I see something that that uh, that we haven't seen in a long time. You know, there's a lot of uh, construction happening. Those are local jobs that are happening here. Um, we're building housing. Uh, and affordable housing uh, on Stockton and uh, and on Broadway in, the, in that area. Uh, and that wasn't happening before, okay? And that, all of it, has stemmed from uh, not only a lot of city staff work involved for thinking about our housing policies or economic development policies, but a focusing point was the Aggie Square project that led to the conversation about a CBA. And the, fo the focusing point that led to a, com a commitment of money towards um, helping those who already live here with funding to invest. We're already gonna put in more money into Oak Park with Rock the Block to make sure that we don't allow our housing stock to fall apart that's already here. And to recognize that we just don't have enough. And so we're already, putting in money into uh, not only affordable housing, extremely low income, mixed income housing, but even uh, a, sm a very small amount of uh, market rate with affordable housing blended in, all within about a mile from one very significant, large, I call it local project, but many see this as a regional project, and that's the Aggie Square um, you know, uh, uh, tech center there. Uh, the 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 hospital that's there, the psychiatric hospital, is already uh, underway, and part of this conversation resulted also in making sure that the workers there weren't going to be displaced, and that they would be there would be a union shop to make sure that 
the hospital operators weren't going to take someone, uh, other folks in. And then the construction that's happening there with the requirement of local apprenticeship and um, making sure that we were using um, the, uh, um, our local union shops. It's also been just tremendous amount of work that's been going on. Six stories already to see that. Uh, and my son asks me in the mornings, like, you know, you know, what's going on there? And, and now every time we drive by, he says, like, that the, that, the, that the laboratory has gotten bigger because I try to describe it to him. And, but he knows what a laboratory is because his, uh, his dad got him, uh, you know, uh, instead of goodbye, good night, uh, good night moon, it was good night lab, you know. And so he knows what a laboratory is. Uh, but um, so to me, that's, that's the inspiring part here. And out of that agreement, Ahead of that conversation, um, it's led for us to, to continue to discuss about, okay, well, how do we make sure that as this project goes that we're creating a pathway for folks in the neighborhood? Or, yes, we're hiring folks locally and training people locally, a skill that they can take with them to the next project, but how do we make sure that, um, that uh, we're hiring locally? And so the Sacramento Employment Training Agency, our new executive director, Jennifer Hernandez, is engaged in this with our, our uh city staff um, to make sure that we're thinking about that before any doors open. Uh, we're already uh, working to making sure that the relationship between our local businesses are protected. The, when I talked to the local businesses, they were hurting before. They were losing their ability to, to make sure and stay open on Stockton Boulevard because they didn't have any, uh, any growth in the area. And being a suburban community, people left. In fact, for my master's program, I remember doing a, uh, a GIS project where many of our residents in South Sacramento had to drive over an hour to try to find a high-wage job. They've, and the only thing that we were growing were just retail jobs. And so I'm looking at how we're looking at our high-wage job is what's led to this, this concept here about a community benefits agreement. So uh, we, we, could start, we could be here and say everybody's unhappy. And we could also say, well, let's just go ahead and move this to the council because uh, if they're unhappy and they're unhappy over here, then we must have done the right thing. But I still think we have a little more work to do and a little more digesting to do uh, in this. Uh, one, I do want to thank the staff and SIWD for a lot of time. They've been meeting every week, every Friday at lunch. I do want to thank Coy Satern in my office because as conflicts have gone, um, uh, you know, they've, our staff has been engaged in that. I do want to thank our uh, council member, Jason Neer's, uh staff as well, the former staff who was involved tremendously. And now I know council Mem member Maple's office is engaged as well. Uh, that has taken a lot of commitment to get to where we are. And we're, we're in a few very significant sticking points that we have to work out here and talk through. Uh, the in business engagement, though, as well. I think um, has been where we, yes, we brought in the downtown partnership, and I know the downtown and the central city is seen as a large economic uh, center for our city and our region, but, um, you know, hearing from, you know, the Power and Alliance, and I know very well the, there is now, you know, an, an interest in growing the manufacturing sector in, uh, in this area, in an area where it doesn't require a four-year degree, but they pay high-wage jobs, they pay medical benefits, they have retirement. Uh, and so I want to make sure that I hear uh, and have, we have some engagement with uh, on our industrial partners 
who do provide a lot of work, and it's lo local close work for folks in the South Sac area. So I, you know, that's putting some work on you, Rachel, here, because I, 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 you know, I know you're new to PIA in that area, but um, uh, I want to make sure that, that we do this right, because what I don't want to see, particularly when we fought to keep Procter & Gamble here, that could have been 300 jobs that we could have lost, uh, we fought to expand Mitsubishi Rayon when they were competing internationally, and that expanded the number of jobs here. Siemens now is, is moved into the city, and now they're spending money in the city, and those are, those are new tech jobs, and we're doing an, an adult school with uh, Charles A. Jones to bring those. What I want to make sure is we keep that growth going for local job opportunities here. Uh, when I went to Sac State, I'll close by saying this, is that um, you know, it was unfortunate that when you graduated, and I didn't go to Sac State to go to get self-enlightened. I went there to get a job, to get out of poverty as a farm worker. And um, uh, what was unfortunate, in a lot of students who grew up in Sacramento would go there, and they'd get a diploma on one hand, and they'd have to get an Amtrak ticket on the other to go to the Bay Area. And I don't think that's a fair thing for our city. I think we need to have a way to do that here. At the same time, I also knew some of those friends who went to work in the Bay Area and found what happened in South San Francisco when the planning happened and we didn't have, and they didn't have any um, uh, planning about how to avoid displacement. And a lot of folks, unfortunately, got priced out. They were built out. And so we cannot, um, we cannot repeat the failures of those cities, but we also have to make sure that we don't, um, in the fear of that, lose the opportunity where our own residents can stay here. Um, on a couple points here, on the numbers, here's, here's my concern, and I mentioned this to SWID on the, on the three million mark, and I don't know what the number is, and this is why I want us to go back, because any small business here who wants to say, I don't know, expand, uh, uh, maybe parking lot is a, is a bad term because we're, as a now CARB member, we want to avoid more parking lots, right? But let's just say parking lot for old school's sake here. Uh, you know, the construction cost for just that, that might almost hit the three, three million mark. To, for a small business, and I only bring that up because a small business wanted to expand that for their uh, grocery store, a little ethnic grocery store, and that would trigger a, a number of, of investments where then they could just move across the street into the county and do their business there. That means a sales tax revenue cut for us. I want to be very cautious about you know where this number is. If we also have a policy that doesn't impact anybody, and it doesn't do anything, then why are we even here? So, you know, I think that's where I'm at here on that. I, I have a few um, uh, value points here that I, I want to make sure that we, we, uh, that we stick to. One, we have to have a policy that continues to grow opportunities for families who live here. And two, this is the important piece, that it honors the families that live here and also the businesses that are here because when a, a large business that comes in and has to procure, uh, we don't, I don't want an unintended consequence where they procure outside of the city and don't support our, our local businesses too. And I know SIWD is focused a lot on the small business ordinance that I want to make sure is part of that. And that the CBA is prospective, thinking about the future. To me, I think those are the three points that, uh, that I'd like to make sure we do that. And with that, um, what I'd like to, I saw that on the timing. Um, Leslie, if, I, if I'm correct, the, um, can you put back the timing on, on the calendar here? Because we've done, there's been a lot of work here, and I, I don't want to drag this out too long, but what's our next meeting is? Um, so 
Is that okay? Yep. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so as we're currently envisioning it, it was law and ledge today, and then a pass for publication on May the 9th, and then on to full council on the 16th. Yep. So what I'd like to do is kick this back out to staff to work with some of the commenters that were here um, and, uh, and bring it back to law and ledge. Um, because the, while I've had the benefit of seeing this and being engaged in this, and there's been only a few small group of folks that have engaged in this that got us to this point, um, and I think, and I want to thank SWID for doing a lot of the work to get us to this point, uh, and our city staff for getting us to this point. I think there's still um, more folks who need to be able to see this and uh, and be able to comment on that. So uh, I'm not sure, Consuelo, when our next law and ledge meeting is scheduled. The, the second, second so kicking it back, uh, at least trying to hear it back then, um, and uh, before we get to council, before we move it on to council. So that's that would be my motion is to kick this back out, um, and then bring it back for one more hearing in Long Beach. Okay, thank you, Vice Mayor. Um, let's hear from the rest of the committee, Councilmember Kaplan. Thank you, um, Chairwoman. Thank you, everyone. I'm I'm new. So this is a, a, a lot to digest in a short amount of time. Um, thank you, SIWD, for what you've done. I've not had a chance to meet you. I hope you reach out to my office so that we can sit down um, and talk. I think creating relationships and understanding the thought process. But I want to be very clear. I think the community benefits partnership agreement that you guys advocated for and created is what this was meant for. Um, because it is about major development. So some of the thoughts or questions I have, which I appreciate, Vice Mayor, of having it kicked out to come back, because this was a lot to read, and I like to read it, digest it. I need to read it again. I need to do some research, see what's been done in other areas, and I see and, and studies have shown the impacts of community benefit partnership agreements, especially when it's the community and the developer. I have questions because all of a sudden we're now going that the city as a local entity is coming in on behalf of who SIWD is. And then my legal mind starts asking questions. So I don't expect our, our city attorneys to have these questions, but when you come back, um, I know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to have the answer. So these are um, some of kind of like my thought processes and questions that I have, because the most important thing is when we look at community benefit agreements, those that have been done that have been narrowly tailored to the development and to the benefit of the community have shown positive impact. My concern is how do we craft something for the city of Sacramento without a development in, in mind? And, and, it, and it's taking a little bit of the voice of the community and the government entity coming in on that. So a couple of my, of my uh, questions that I have is as we look at the definition is what's considered a large public private project because when I looked at community benefit agreements or partnership agreements they happened with like arenas Aggie Square you know it could have been golden one um, but as I look at the development um, like it could have impacted Centene when that was developed in district one it could impact innovation park 
and would it put a halt to Innovation Park and have an unintended consequence um, in, in that? So how we define what a transformative public-private project partnership agreement is and impacting the community um, is important. Um, uh, on inflation, really want to, um, I come from the school construction background and I can tell you every two years, school construction costs are adjusted because there is a standard format construction cost index that every two years, it's done by national magazines and there's a 10 Western cities one that we look at. So that's something I would like to keep in alignment, which is already in the industry when we look at inflation and adjustments. It's normal within construction industry that you, I mean, they're adjusting every month, but when you look at the construction cost every two years instead of 60 months, you know, is, is definitely reasonable. Um, one thing I didn't see, because per the settlement agreement with SIWD in the city, it talks about staff uh, cost staff to implement and accountability uh, on page four of 12 of the settlement. But what I don't know is what is this gonna cost? Because I'd like this discussion then to go, because then budget has to consider it. If we're, if we're doing this, what is the cost to city? I, I think it's very reasonable for us to know since that was in the settlement agreement. Um, and then who is charged with monitoring per the settlement? It says city, but like the accountability monitoring the oversight is, are we, do we have qualified staff to do that? Or are we gonna have to hire um, a potential third party entity? Um, again, I really wanna look at the scope and the definition of how we're doing this. I think Vice Mayor Guerra said it appropriately. We wanna make it, and, and my legal minds is narrowly defined, but you don't wanna narrowly define it that it means nothing. But it can't just apply for those unintended consequences. Plus, I am a huge supporter of local development and local families and benefits that I don't want to unintentionally take some of our, our local entities here who've invested in Sacramento and make them leave. Um, Threshold, um, I'm open if there is a way to define it on a percentage versus a dollar amount, you know, if that makes more sense. Um, but I am supportive of, of the 10 million with adjustments um, because um, I see construction, I know the cost, how easily, and this is really supposed to be about transformative um, development in our city, which we know is gonna cost a lot. Um, also, uh, this now gets into my questions. So on community benefit agreements and partnership agreements, most of them are between community entities and the developers. Like a lawsuit may happen where a city may come in, but it's not a city who is a part of that. Um, because specifically the Supreme Court, there are a couple cases, Nolan and Dolan, it's regarding the takings clause. And so it comes into, um, because one of the biggest critiques of CBAs are that it may violate the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment if local government becomes too involved in the negotiating process of a CBA. So the questions then become, is this ordinance creating an, ex an exaction, which is set forth in Nolan, which this is now I'm speaking to our attorneys, um, doesn't meet the essential nexus test set up in Dolan, and is creating an ordinance, roughly proportionality, which was the test set up in Dolan. Because specifically, um, 
This may be too much, but I think it's important for us as a council to hear. What courts look at is by asking whether a government outright demanded the concessions or the conditions on the project for the right to development. Second, under the nexus test, a court must determine if the government has a legitimate public interest in requiring the concession in exchange for the right to develop. And finally, under the rough proportionality test, the court must define its analysis under the essential nexus test and determine whether the cost of the developer incurs in providing the concession is roughly proportional to the overall cost, social cost of the development. It's also important to remember under the court in Dolan held that the burden of proof with respect to the test lies with the government, not with the challenger of the exaction. And let me be very clear, the community benefit agreement that SIWD did bypasses all of that. When the community enters into a benefits agreement with the developer, takings clause doesn't come into effect. None of these tests come in. But by, if we do this, then we have to make sure that we are not setting up for the city to be sued because the EIR process defines what we can give and take. And if we're doing this ordinance, are we unintentionally stepping into something that has already been defined in the Supreme Court? And if I'm missing something, how do we narrowly define it so we don't step into something? Um, but I would love to get, um, I don't expect you guys to answer these questions right <laughs> Let now. Let me answer that question. No. <laughs> Um, but, you know, these are things that run through of I need to digest more just because looking at it, and that was the one thing that popped of concerns when the city involves itself in a community benefits agreement in the negotiating process. Yeah, we'd be happy to get back to you on that. Perfect. Thank you. I know I went a little geeky on attorney stuff, yeah. but these are the questions I have. Geekiness is welcome at Law and & Ledge and mm -hmm. in all other spaces. Thank you, Councilmember Kaplan. Um, Vice Chair Jennings. Birthday boy. <laughs> on? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I want to support the motion by uh, Vice Mayor Guerra. Um, and I want to thank everybody who came out and spoke today, um, all the work that's been done by the staff. Um, this has been a long process. Uh, I think I heard two years in the making. Um, but it's obvious to me in reading this and also obvious in sitting here today listening to what we're saying that we need more time. And so while it's been a long process, I think we're all on the same page as far as getting it right the first time, right? Just make it a little bit longer. And so I, I am in favor of not going with the schedule that we have right now, but to develop another schedule where it will come back to Long Ledge first, which was the motion, and then we can determine whether or not we've closed the gap I heard um, from the public very clearly that we need more time and we need more engagement um, in order to be able to deal with our earnest differences, I think was the term that was used. Um, and so I'm very much in favor of that and I wanna make sure that that happens as we move forward. So um, I wanna support the motion. I wanna make sure that this CBA does not lead to disinvestment in the city of Sacramento. I wanna make sure that this CBA does not lead to jurisdictional hopping, going from one jurisdiction to the other. I, I wanna make sure that this CBA does not do harm to the city of Sacramento and the region of Sacramento, but it's a benefit in the true 
term of the word community benefit agreement. And so that needs more time. And so this is, even though it's been cooked and we could eat it, it needs a little bit more cooking, just a little bit more. And so I'll support the motion. All right, thank you, Vice Chair. Um, so we have a motion in a second. I'm gonna add in a series of things myself um, because this is the order of the day here. I like the analogy of it's cooked, but it needs more seasoning. <laughs> um, that's my analogy here because I think we're, we're, when we're getting to the point where we're debating thresholds and definitions and different pieces, that means we're getting close. And I'm really, I wanna echo the, um, the accolades to the city staff and to the community partners, most of whom don't get any funding for this, by the way, so we're doing this as volunteers, and I don't want that to go unrecognized because I think we often forget that, you know, of course, do not want to discredit what the city team does, but when a volunteer can show up to meetings every single Friday at noon and put in the amount of time and effort I saw in these documents, I just want to commend that. Um, I have some technical questions about the definitions of affordability um, under the definition section, because I noted that in SIWD's draft, the question of should it be 55 years of affordability versus 30 years, how do we define what's affordable? I'd like that to be consistent. You know, we normally talk about affordability as a percentage of your income, 30% or less, and so I just want to make sure that we're being consistent, because I think when we throw in other definitions like 2% of I forget how it was worded, that can just get more complicated for folks to understand what we mean. And so I do think those are important comments. I also want to agree on the question about rezones or other administrative changes. And I don't, and I'll get to my further nuanced comments later, but I think like, you know, if we're rezoning a project that would have been entitled to five stories to 20 stories, that's obviously a significant change in that project. And I think I wanna hear from staff about how we would even start to quantify something like that, um, because I'm not sure the answer to that question. So I'd love your input um, into that because I do think it's important to think about there are a lot of things the city can do that would impart additional value onto a project that should be looked at. I am also not wedded to is it a dollar amount or a percentage. I think that there's a lot of arguments either way as to how we would set that up. I do want to make clear though that I don't think this applies to like a parking lot example if it's privately funded. You know, this is something that's really just about if the city was going to come in and put $3 million into a parking lot, which obviously we would never do, planners who are watching this, don't worry. Um, but <laughs> um, so I wanna make sure that's clear. Um, but I do think that those, like I wanna hear some of the, maybe a chart of just like the pros and cons and how this might work in different ways. So we maybe have a menu of options we can, we can look at here. I also wanna say that I saw in the SIWD draft as well, I do wanna remove the surplus land exemption, um, mostly because public works and affordable housing projects are already considered exempt, and so I don't know why we put the, and I know we talked about this on the staff briefing call, I just don't think the surplus land exemption, if it's going to a for-profit developer who's building for-profit housing should necessarily apply under this case, and that should count as a subsidy in this case, especially if they're getting that lot below market. Um, so I wanna make sure that we take that out, because I think it just overly complicates it in a way that, um, we didn't intend. Minimum benefits and community engagement are kind of the big thing, and I know I was part of one of the early webinars that SIWD did in the community. We hosted one in my district, and at one point we were talking about different thresholds. Um, you know, like if it's a million dollar thing or a certain, like if it's a certain type of project, I think there should be different, we give ourselves a little bit of flexibility in saying, hey, if it's just this, you know, affordable housing. Um, you know, if it's something like this, now we're talking broader workforce agreements and broader investment. If it's something like this, and how do we define that? It's sort of a common theme I think we're expressing across the dais here, which is like, at what point do we decide, you know, if someone's coming to me with a project that doesn't fit, how do I know where it fits? Um, and how do we decide what's significant or not and what additional benefits might be needed? 
I'm hearing that pretty consistently, and I want to think about and maybe get SIWD's input on this threshold discussion. You know, what does it look like to say, okay, if it's three million, maybe it's just this little thing over here. If it's five million, maybe now it's this. If it's ten million, okay, now it's you know maybe there's a different way we look at this rather than just saying across the board if you get three million you have to do these thirty things because that might really not make sense compared to the scale of assistance that the project is getting. I really appreciated the addition of the enforcement mechanism in SIWD's language, and this is something that's come up a lot, and in my district in particular, because we've had a lot of these developer agreements in downtown in the central city that like years pass, and I've got these residents that hold on to every newspaper clipping like ever, um, and they'll come to me five years later and be like, this never happened. And I don't really know who at the city monitors this to make sure that it actually happens and like what the consequences are, and so I appreciated the proposal that SIWD put forward, and I guess I want to hear staff's input on that, like what, what that looks like. How do we keep track of this? Is there some sort of public database somewhere? Because sometimes we've been able to use the lack of actually doing the thing you promised to get something else done later, which is great, but it does feel like it's a little more ad hoc than we'd like, and I don't know whose job that is at the city. Once the council votes on something and someone gets their building permits and they've got their money to actually follow up and say, did that happen? Um, that's a great question. So I know you put a proposal on the table. It might be something different. Um, I know I've raised this to the planning staff before in the context of development projects when we say, hey, we're going to build this project across the street and it's going to be all affordable and that project never happens. Like, whose job is that at the city to say, hey, wait a minute, that was something the council wanted and it never actually happened. And how do we, what do we do when that implementation issue occurs? I think my last point here is that I note the implementation guidelines on this are pretty broad. Um, and I appreciate the need to provide the city manager some flexibility. I do think that it would be important for the council to weigh in on the implementation guidelines before they were finalized, because there's a lot in here about process and specific details that are really great, and I just think that that's the sort of thing that I know I'd like to know about before it actually started moving forward. So I have a suggestion that the council approve the implementation guidelines. Any management team can adopt it. They can update it as often as you want, but I do think it needs to come back to council as a discussion item if there's gonna be a significant change. Um, and we can talk a little bit about what that means when, we, when it comes back. But in general, I mean, those are some of my questions that I've been holding up over here. I think we are consensus that we want to wait two weeks. I um, hope that's possible. I don't think Leslie sleeps already, so maybe that's definitely possible or maybe it's definitely not. But um, I would love to hear your feedback, Leslie, on this timeline idea and if two weeks feels doable. I know we've agreed to May now, and I know we don't want to push it too far out, but obviously there's a lot of big questions that have been put on the table, so we have SIWD in the room. We can do a little in-person negotiation here. Oh, Locking the door or something, no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, two weeks, a, a two-week turnaround, given the variety of things you've brought up today, is uh, pretty optimistic. <laughs> um, we certainly can, can work towards that, but there are a lot of things to, to work through. Um, and um, if it is coming back with some ideas on these areas, I think two weeks is possible. If it's actually, you know, putting pen to paper and making those changes, we certainly would have to uh, defer to our, our legal team as well to, to make some of those changes. So uh, two weeks in terms of a, a continued discussion might work, but uh, we wouldn't have the opportunity to um, put together a revised draft or anything in, okay. within that period of time, just to, to give you a, a time 
frame. I appreciate that. No, and I, that's why I wanted to, because you've all been taking very copious notes. I see Mike over there with his legal pad. So, um, I mean, SIWD, if this ends up pushing back the backstop to council to June at this stage, and obviously if it needs to push back again, we'll talk to you, but I'm looking for any indication if that's okay, if it's two weeks or four weeks coming back to Law and Ledge. Okay. I'm seeing nodding in the room. So I think we have a little flexibility here unless there's objection from the motioner. If it's two weeks, great. If you feel ready, if it's four weeks, that's fine too because I think what we're looking for is slightly more closer to finished discussion here. And if two weeks isn't possible, then is that okay with you, Vice Mayor, with your motion? No, yes, in fact, and I wanted to, you know, I know I know, uh, Councilmember Kaplan is new and there are some new, peoples in the room, mm -hmm. new people in the room, but the, the, the settlement agreement dictated uh, the council to um, consider this and and SWAD has worked with the city to um, adjust the timing so that we can all make sure that we work on this so I, I wanted to make sure that this isn't uh, for those who are not new to who are who are new to this um, to understand that that this conversation is part of the settlement agreement yes. and uh, uh, and I and I don't know if that was discussed at the beginning of this conversation so I just wanted to put make sure that people knew understood why we were, why we're discussing this time frame yeah absolutely and I think staff included that on their slides that SIWD has been flexible working with us which is what's given us the May timeline and in the room here I will state for the record I saw nodding heads that potentially June if necessary if we need an extra couple weeks so um, that's out there no take backs um, so I think staff two weeks would be great if you can, but four weeks if you need, because you heard from like Devin in the River District, other stakeholder groups who want input. Obviously we have new council members. The draft that SIWD presented was substantially rewritten, and I know it's posted online for folks who might not have seen it, but that's gonna take us a little bit of time to work through these questions, and I definitely want our next conversation at Law and Ledge to feel like we're getting ready to the point where we're sending it to council, if not at least having some more clear direction. Mike, did you wanna chime in? I see your hand on the mic. Council, it would be helpful um if SIWD were to provide us with their legal research that supports the city's ability to impose the CBA requirement where there is a rezone without any city financial okay. contribution. Okay. So it would be helpful if they would provide that to us. Okay, thank you for asking that question. Um, I see nodding heads again, so that was received. And yeah, obviously I think Councilmember Kaplan raised some important points about legal thresholds in general, and we know other cities have done this, but just because nobody's gotten sued yet doesn't mean that we shouldn't do some extra research and make sure that there isn't any issues there that we could be addressing to make this work. Um, okay, anybody have any final questions to add to our long menu here for staff? Good, all right. Well, this was a really robust discussion. I wanna thank the city team again, and obviously the stakeholders on all sides. You've all put a lot of time and energy into your discussion here, and I think we have a lot to chew on um, in our not yet finished meal as we work towards hopefully getting done soon. <laughs> well, thank you for your input and direction today. We appreciate it. Awesome, all right. Madam Clerk, do we have any comments on items not on the agenda? Um, may, may I reiterate that motion? That oh, oh yeah, sorry, we did not vote on the motion. The motion is to postpone it. to May 2nd, May 2nd or, or, a or a date determined by staff and SIWD. I believe Councilmember Jennings seconded that. Correct. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? Abstain? All right, motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you, Clerk, for reminding me that. Now, do we have any comments on items not on the agenda? not appear I have anyone online awesome any comments from committee members questions ideas thoughts perspectives well I was gonna wish a happy belated birthday to Councilmember Jennings but I we probably should do that this evening so. yes yes we definitely <laughs> should 
Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for coming and um, have a great day. This meeting is adjourned. <laughs> it's a month long presentation. I don't know if they told you. Ha <laughs> ha.